0: Tig Notaro has both survived and thrived in the decades since she first disclosed her breast cancer diagnosis to a live audience in Los Angeles in August of 2012. Notaro has released three stand-up specials, two on HBO and one on Netflix, in addition to a road trip special for Showtime, while she also was the subject of a documentary for Netflix. Notaro poured some of her life story into her own series for Amazon Prime Video called One Mississippi, and she's written a memoir, I'm Just a Person. She's also been nominated for two Grammys and an Emmy, gotten married, and became a mother to twin boys. Notaro's more recently reached new heights with a regular role on Star Trek Discovery. She's replaced a disgraced comedian in post-production on the hit Netflix zombie movie, Army of the Dead, and now has turned one of her stand-up performances at Largo into an animated special for HBO called Drawn. Notaro joined me to talk about making Drawn and reflected on her career up until now, so let's get to it! So, uh, Tig, first off, congratulations. I know today it was just announced you're also going to be in a new film for Netflix. So congrats on that. Thank you. Um, But we're here to talk about Drawn, which is your new animated special for HBO. Mm -hmm. And I counted at least 11 different uh, animated renditions of you in the special. Oh, wow. (laughs) Which, Which of them do you think captures you the best? Are there ones that you identify more with when you when you watch it?
1: I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I think I fall into those uh, segments of the special and just um, connect with each one as they're playing where I can kind of feel and see myself as it's, as it's, um, you know, uh, in front of my eyes. But probably... You know the version of me that's on stage at Largo, um, because there's so many of my face expressions and body movements that mm. I really was kind of shocked that um, <laughs> that they were there the way that they are.
0: <laughs> you also get to have the fun thing of having your your facial expressions and voice sometimes thrown into the audience.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really, um, I, it, it is, I, I think I just can, because I've been on this project for so long, I, I do genuinely connect with so all the different pieces. And,
0: and drawn is, is, uh, like, it's funny for you in 2021, like you became a, a huge, like viral meme, uh, thanks to your participation in army of the dead and then Drawn is like a reverse of that whole process because Army of the Dead, they put you all in post-production and then Drawn, they did it all the other way around.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's like, when will, when will I just be me?
0: <laughs> well, that's something. Uh, if we want to turn this into a therapy session, we can. But when did, you, when did you decide that you wanted to do Drawn as an animated project instead of just a straight special from Largo?
1: Well, it's um, material that I had considered releasing as an album. Okay. And um, and it's material that I did about four years ago. In fact, the um, Jenny Slate story came up on stage because, and this is how I know it was four years ago, because <laughs> I was talking about being officially in remission from cancer, Mm -hmm. which is why I started talking about that Jenny Slate story. And I was reminiscing about everything that she went through while I was going through that and the annoyance of, of uh, just checking in on me or wanting to follow up to have tea. And then she got sucked into this hell and, um, and so, anyway, you know, five years is when you're officially in remission from cancer, which is what was the case four years ago, and um, and so, the material again, I considered releasing as an album, but over the years, on different TV shows or websites, my material has been animated, mm-hmm. and it's been so fun to see, and um, and. Greg Franklin, who directed this, he and I were gonna work together over a well over a decade ago at this point and uh and he was gonna animate um my comedy back then, but I didn't have a network or studio behind me at the time, so I couldn't make sense out of paying that much money just to put something online that I thought was cool or interesting Um, and because it's expensive to do animation Um, so we parted ways and then we um, reconnected for this for this special and he's he directed it and I think did a phenomenal job and so it just seemed like um, a, a cool thing to do rather than just to put it out as an album whereas I could animate it and put it out as an album and then um I could be still on track to um, potentially deliver another stand-up special that um that I've been working on that has more recent material in it
0: not not that that ever matters to you as you joke about in drawn uh, there's a moment where you go you, you you readily confess I don't care if my material is relevant
1: <laughs> exactly which is, you know, it's, I mean, the, the, um, the Kool-Aid Man, yeah, it's commercials yeah. from my childhood. And then even my, my Wisdom Tooth story is from probably 25 years ago, but it's a story that I tell people. And then I thought, why don't I just start telling this on stage? And then it ended up becoming one of people's favorite stories of mine that I told on stage. And so... Um, yeah, I just, I'm all about putting out there, whatever, whatever I want or whatever feels right. And, um, so there you go.
0: Well, that also kind of ties in, uh, neatly with your, the web series you've been doing called under a rock because you're, you're, you're not tied to what the kids are talking about. You're, you're, you're in your own world.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh. I I come out of the world every now and then, Uh, (laughs) um, but i am i'm stunned how people keep up with everything i i've wanted to pitch a show where i spend a day in the life with somebody who is always connected to what's going on in social media and and just to see what that feels like and then make them spend a day in the life with me and not connected to tv shows and social media constantly and See, see what it feels like for them.
0: One of the one of the other pluses about turning Drawn into an animated special is that you actually do get to use Dolly Parton mm-hmm. in it, which is yeah. which is nice. It's it's not quite like having the Indigo Girls, but it's it's got to be close, right?
1: Well, the fact that either Dolly or her manager, whoever it was, I know her manager was dealing with us about this special and it's my understanding that Dolly okayed this to be in the special this song and her likeness and and um and her manager seemed really into it so i like to pretend like she really does have an awareness and um and that makes me very happy because she makes me very happy
0: and in the in the pandemic we realized how much she makes all of us happy yes so that's 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 one nice thing we still have about America. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, if I can get back to 2015 for just a second. Mm-hmm. I I I'm still I'm still amazed that in that year alone you had projects on HBO, Showtime, Netflix and Amazon. I don't know yeah. that it's like the grand slam of comedy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a busy time. It was and- a very your
0: time And they were all different, you know. You had, you know, knock knock. uh It's Tignataro, the road movie with with uh, John Dor on, mm-hmm. on, I which I loved. I love that so much. Even when I first saw it at South by Southwest, and then you have, you know, the the straight ahead HBO special, Boyish Girl Interrupted. Yeah. Then Netflix did their documentary on you, and then that's when you also were starting One Mississippi. Uh huh. So. Is is there one project out of those four that you can go back to and really like captures what that period was for you more than the other three?
1: Hmm. Um, I would say...
0: You don't have to say HBO just because HBO is on the call. <laughs>
1: um, well... Yeah, I would say knock-knock, it would not be it, because I feel like that was just me trying to have fun and find my voice and my footing on stage again. Um, You're saying which project really kind of solidifies that time period?
0: Yeah, if you were to go back and watch any of the four now.
1: I mean, probably the documentary uh, on Netflix, yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, Stephanie and I watched that together recently for my documentary podcast with Cheryl Hines and we hadn't watched that documentary since it came out and it was real. I mean, why would we, but, uh, it was so, um, it was really jarring and crazy to watch. Yeah.
0: You know the, the story you tell with Jenny Slate gives you in drawn gives you a chance to kind of recap for people who haven't been obsessively following your life and career all of the all of the, the trials and, and tribulations you went through uh, in your forties, um, but as a fellow member of the class of nineteen seventy one, like I, I just I think about like the idea of of achieving success once you hit your forties or later. And I wonder, you know, now that you can look back on that part of your life, like, what was it like when you were in your twenties and thirties trying to make it in comedy? And, you know, you had Sarah Silverman, every time she was on late night TV, she would, she would sing your praises, but what was it like in those kind of leaner years?
1: Um, you know, I think that, uh, in my leaner years, (laughs) it was probably, You know, when I had any support from people like Sarah or Cheryl Hines or whoever whoever it was at the time that, that I knew back then that supported me, it was such a, a curveball bonus that I got because I have had such a an odd entry to this industry in that I didn't start doing stand-up to get anything out of it. I really was just doing it because I loved it. I, I didn't move to Los Angeles to break into the business. And, and so it was always interesting and surprising when I caught people's attention. And then um, I think it was kind of an ignorance is bliss type thing where I, I was just doing what I was doing and then it wasn't until I was probably 30, 31, something like that, um, that, uh, I mean, I guess that's the time period you're asking about, but I'm just thinking yeah. about the earlier days, like in my mid to late 20s, that I, I just had this, um, I just kind of, I almost felt detached from, what I was doing. I, I, although I felt very connected to what I was doing, I was detached to what it's supposed to be or why you're doing it or what your end goal is. And then I reached a point where I thought, you know, I, I, I might as well take this seriously. I seem to be doing okay in it. And, um, and although I started wanting more for myself and my career, and my comedy and growth all around, I still didn't feel like I had the pressure on me because I also feel like I, I was made to believe that being a low-key woman or whatever mm-hmm. um, wasn't really what the world was looking for. <laughs> so I... I probably didn't have very big aspirations. I just wanted to make people laugh and enjoy what I was doing. And so it just has kind of caught up in this time where it's surprising that, wow, I'm still doing that same thing. And now people still, people seem to want a special or um, put me in an action film and, it wasn't anything I was aiming for. It was, of course, like if I could have a special, great. I just didn't think it was in the cards for me, but it wasn't going to stop me from doing comedy or enjoying that.
0: Right. The world came around to your way of thinking instead of you trying to pressure yourself to be something you weren't.
1: Yeah. It. It. Um. And I never, I don't know. I, I really, <laughs> for better or worse, I, I, I just always enjoyed what I was doing. I never felt like I'm not getting anything or, or why, why not me or, and, and I'm not saying I should, I probably should have been, but I just wasn't. I was just like, ah, you know, I'm a low key woman or lesbian and that's not what the world wants, but it's what I am. And, oh, well, and I'm just going to, keep doing what I do and uh, it's turned out all right.
0: It has turned out all right. I mean, and it's, it's, it gives me hope uh, and gives me joy because, you know, there's so many comedians that I've talked to over the years that are the complete reverse of that, where they get so sucked into comparing themselves with everybody else and, and feeling like it's a rat race. And if they get this thing, then that means that I don't get it. And it's it that can be such an isolating experience,
1: mm-hmm, yeah,
0: when stand up is supposed to be all about making people laugh and
1: I know it gets so complicated for different people for different reasons at different times in their lives or careers and and uh I mean, I've certainly fallen into you know with with things with becoming more successful, I've become more uh entangled in the um in the sometimes more complicated or negative side of the business or you know comedy whatever it is um and i'm always trying to redirect my my ship and head in the other way when right. i run into someone or something where i'm like this is the worst or they're the worst. Get me the hell out of here. Uh,
0: I, yeah, I, I, I know what I know what you're saying, and I also know what you're talking about. And uh, but thankfully I don't have to ask you any of those questions. Instead <laughs> <laughs> Because we can move past that and we can, you know, hopefully grow as a as a society and as a comedy community. I don't know that we've turned a corner just yet, but we're making strides, don't you think? <laughs>
1: I think so for sure. Um I think that there is um there's a lot of elements and there's a lot of people and it's it's not just it's not just um the obvious people or the obvious issues but um I I think that I think a lot of people need to get in touch with what their true intentions are. And that's that's my feeling, that's and okay. I think that goes across the board. Just whether it's comedy or life or whatever, you just need to. And if and if who you're dealing with or the people you're dealing with um, uh, don't have the right intentions or don't align with yours, you need to redirect your ship. And I feel like I'm on that constant uh, uh, redirecting. Of my course.
0: I think that's a good policy for everyone to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, both in, in in continuing to adapt and redirect. And also because, you know, as you're talking, it, it reminds me that the comedy industry is just a microcosm of what's happening in in our regular business world, in our political world. Oh yeah. So
1: it's mimicking it. Um like just it's it's alarming how much the comedy world mimics the world and the political world and yes it's it's alarming
0: Uh, well i'll leave i'll leave i'll leave you and us on a lighter note Mm -hmm. um if you could only uh keep one of these two noises in your act the stool noise Mm -hmm. or your horn noise which, which noise would you hold on to?
1: Um, probably my horn noise, just because it's so right there. Um, although I do love driving people insane with the uh, stool noise. It's uh, close to my heart to run people off and lure them back and run them off and lure them back.
0: Well, I, I agree. The horn noise. Also because you don't need the stool for the horn noise.
1: No. You can uh, be anywhere. You can yeah. be on your deathbed. And I hope that that's the last, the last thing I say before I die.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for that exclusive, Tig. Uh, and yeah. thank you for doing this once again. I, I really appreciate it. <laughs> things first